and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Hi everyone and welcome, welcome. Today we have the lovely Bex Markwick with us. Hi Bex. Hi. Um, Bex is one of those fascinating people to chat to because you have done many, many things at many, many levels with many, many people and lots and lots of fingers in many, many pies there. So we're going to be discussing lots of different things today, but particularly our theme we thought we'd talk about was training the individual, as in the rider and the horse, individually and together um, and all the kind of things behind that. And we'll also be touching on some other bits and pieces that um, you've done, things like driving. we haven't really touched on that yet so far with anyone so that'd be really good um so Bex tell us a little bit about yourself your background what got you into horses what got you to where you are today (laughs) (laughs) um I'm one of those people I started when I was about four or five riding school ended up with a pony by the time I was about seven he was a a little tiny terror uh that pony who um I I kept and he was my first pony and he stayed with me forever. Taught me very well how to fall off, which stood me in good stead for later in life. And I competed in a lot of disciplines, show jumping, dressage, eventing, sort of up to pony club open level. Kind of gave up the competing for my GCSEs and A-levels. In my gap year, got all qualified to teach, groom, do all that fun stuff. And then for the last sort of decade or so, I've been a freelance rider coach groom and initially it was a way to sort of pay my way through university and then by the time I'd finished my university course I was working for people like Lissa Green and they discovered I'd finished university and I'm now working full-time for my freelance clients at sort of top level eventing low level eventing junior riders carriage drivers polo yards racehorse studs racehorse uh, pre-training mostly the point pointers because I'm not that mad uh done a bit of everything really over the years and I've made sure that I've kept up with working at the grassroots level particularly with my coaching as well as working at the the higher ends of the sport just because I find there's a lot of stuff I can gain from just working with people at the top level that I can then bring down to the people who may not have ever thought of that particular training method or those little anecdotes where oh yeah, Alyssa fell off into into the water jump today. It happens to everyone. Absolutely everyone. Or young horses that are really difficult that you don't hear about because professionals won't take them out for two years until they're maybe six or seven because they've been really difficult to get going. And I think people have a real skewed understanding of at the grassroots level, they just see the success of all of the top riders in whatever discipline they're at, and they don't get so much of that behind the scenes knowledge, and they don't see how hard some horses are to work with and how they have to have specific little training regimes for certain horses. And it's it's just something I really like to bring to people so that they feel a bit better about, my horse is an absolute knob today. And you go, seriously, everyone's horse is a knob one day in the week, if not three or four my own personal horse, you can't ride it after lunch. Um, otherwise it has a hissy fit and you get absolutely nothing out of it. But horses are horses, you know, each horse is its own thing. That is brilliant. I've never heard of that one. I've heard of many Seriously, horses, seriously, you, you can't. By trying, uh, so it lives on a professional yard with a, an, an Olympian event rider uh, called Tiana Kudre, who's Team America, she's amazing. 
I've never met anyone who's so good with difficult horses and particularly mares that anyone that sends a young horse to her, no matter how weird sort of they have an issue with like getting on or whatever, she'll just calmly work through it. And at the end of her working with them, they are a delight. But I, I got my horse when she was four, actually from Tiana. It was staying in my barn and I didn't even realise it was for sale. Anyway, I bought it. And at that point, I was just riding her in the morning and Tiana always used to ride the young horses in the morning. And the longer I had it, the horse is at a nine this year, the longer I had it, the more when some of my times my schedule wouldn't let me ride her in the morning and I'd ride her in the afternoon. She was always really difficult and very stroppy and sort of it would be real hard work to get anything out of her to the point that you go, we did a whole lap of trot without her having a hissy fit was a success for the day. And she usually would go out in the field and have dinner at about four o'clock. And we worked out that I'd interrupt her afternoon nap if I rode her after lunch. And she considered after lunch was basically just a waiting game until she got to go in the field. And it was the, how dare you ruin my schedule? So pretty much any time before 12 o'clock, you get a much, much nicer Hannah to ride. So now I just schedule in, again, training the individual horse. If I want good work with her, I ride her early in the morning. If I'm not so fast, I'll ride her later. Um, but yeah, it was it was sort of over a few months, we kind of went, we're just not going to ride it in the afternoon. Yeah, and you just start to spot those patterns and, and things. And yeah. Which brings us beautifully actually onto, like you say, training the individual horse. So what yeah. are your thoughts on that? What does that mean to you? How have you come about it? Yeah, so this is mostly from my driving experience and my work on professional big professional event yards where each horse is treated very much as an individual and with carriage driving in a team or a pair or multiple is an individual who's part of the team take for example a tandem which is where you have one horse in front of another like like so one's in the carriage one's just floating in front it's really difficult to work out unless you know the ponies or the horses really well, which horse is going to make a good wheeler, the one at the carriage. They have to be calm, chill, pretty good at pulling, happy enough to do all of the work themselves. And the horse at the front has got to be kind of a show off, quite happy to not be doing any work, but really pays attention to the driver because they're not actually attached to anything. The only They've got fake traces which attach them to the pony behind them, but they don't do anything. And then the reins, and that's it. And when we were breaking a pair that I've worked with since they were babies, to being tandem, we went, well, this one's got the better paces, we'll put it in front. And it just didn't work, because it didn't like being away from everyone, it didn't like being all by itself. And we ended up swapping them around and putting the less flashy one, but the more sort of, oh, I'm amazing horse, pony in front, and the one at the back. And it worked so much better. And now, four years later, when we compete them, that's the way we have them, except for in the obstacle part of carriage driving, because the wheeler pony is much more confident and brave and go-getty in obstacles. So we put that pony in front for obstacles. And that's something you can do in carriage driving. You can mix around the ponies. But the issue with that is the main reason we now can't have that pony in front for dressage is it's not very flexible and it doesn't really bend right, which we are working on. So whenever we drive them, we have to make sure that it goes on the correct side in a pair, it goes on the correct side in a team, in order to work within that pony's limits. There's no point in us putting it on 
the offside when the whole week it's been bending and it needs to go on the near side. Um, obviously with the counter near left. It's a video, you can't tell which way I'm going. But uh, we're all horse people, we know which side is near side and left side. So when you're looking at a team, you have to put the personalities together. You have to think which ponies can go next to each other. And from that, you can kind of work out this pony needs more single work. It needs more training to develop its confidence in pulling, its confidence in going into the bridle, its confidence doing this, and we'll do more singles with it. Or this horse needs more flexibility, we'll do more in-hand classical dressage training with it. This one's super flexible, we don't need to do the in-hand classical dressage. It needs more work on its differentiation of paces, we'll do more work on the lunge. This one's solid, we just need to do more long reining because it's not very straight. So, obviously with a team you have four. Usually you have spares as well, but we don't have spares for the, the ones that I mostly work with these days. And that's the same whether it's ponies or horses. And that's the same whether it's singles, multiples, pairs, teams. And then in the eventing sphere that I work, uh, they have big, big teams of, of horses. And it's whether it's like my horse, nowhere it gets ridden in the morning. Or a horse that you go, you can only take it in the school to do dressage two days a week. And then you need to do something else. You need to hack it. You need to do pole work. You need to jump. You need to lunge it. Or if it's a horse, and there's quite a lot of these that don't hack at that level. Or if you take it on a hack, you have to put a lot of kit on it and not take it out by itself. And that particularly, I think, is something that surprises people is how many of the higher level horses maybe find it difficult to hack. Or you can only hack them by themselves because they're naughty or you have to hack them in a group because otherwise they won't go, or that don't like hacking, you know. And so you just don't put that into its regime. Or if something really loves poles, maybe you put more poles in, or if they love lunging, you put more lunging in. If if my little dressage pony, you could put him in the school every single day with no, no days off, and he wouldn't care. He loves going in the school. And he's really easy to hack, so it's really important then. It's good for his mental health, for him to go on those hacks, even though he doesn't get school sour, it's still good for him to have the diversity. And you see certain horses are maybe more highly strung and maybe you need to do more work on getting them calm and chill and maybe you just do a whole session where you're walking and halting and that's all you do one session a week. Whereas a horse that's particularly lazy or sluggish or do I really have to, you have to do those more intense sessions where you make them do it and you go when you're doing well that's when we stop that's when we chill everything is fine you also have to look at sort of the confirmation of some of these horses so the more short coupled horses are often much better at the collected work they find the jumping much easier and it's very easy to focus in on that if you find yourself sat on a short coupled horse or a spanish or a luso horse the collection's super easy and you have to really be careful that you don't overdo that, particularly if they're young. And you have to make sure that you put the work in to work on the extensions that they're going to find really hard. And the same with a with a big, long, rangy horse. You often see some of the dressage horses find the extensions really easy. And you go, yeah, we'll go, we'll go for medium. We'll, let's work on extended trot. And you forget that actually, particularly for those big rangy horses, they need to do a lot more of the collected work to build that musculature, to build that core, to build the power in those hindquarters so that they can collect. And then bringing that down, sort of the more cob owners that I work with when I coach. And you think 
cobs are reasonably heavy until you start working them, unless you're really lucky. They're often built slightly on the downhill because they've been designed really for sort of driving and pulling stuff where they need a whopping great big bum and then they can lean into stuff and off they go. So you want to try and retrain cobs. You've got to really work on that core. You've got to really work on holding them up, getting them to hold themselves up. But equally, you you could work with some of the ex-racers and you've got to think they've been trained to go very long and flat. Really fast. And they can collect and they can connect into that nice rounded shape but you've got to take into consideration how many years of training they've had for track racing or for for steeplechase jumping how much you've got to retrain them as opposed to just training from scratch which is something that people are much much better at these days in in the racehorse front but also if you look at a horse and it's got a really upright shoulder you're going to have to train that differently to a horse with a nicely angled 45 degree shoulder. A horse that's maybe croup high or a horse that's really, really high at the withers. You've got to pay attention to that. Pay attention to the feet. There's so much that you can train just regarding looking at horses' feet. My personal, my mare, she's got very bad front feet. She's got very flat very wide front feet and we have a fabulous farrier who deals with it but in the summer now she has to have gel pads in her feet because otherwise she gets really really sore and footy and her movement gets decreased she doesn't extend so far because her feet hurt on the hard ground in the summer doesn't need them in the winter because the ground is softer and her feet are better but things like that easily fixed by chucking some pads in chatting to your farrier or if you look at a horse and it's got really upright boxy feet you've got to think how much concussive road work should I be doing with that horse? Probably not a lot because the upright foot is going to send the shock much better through the leg and they're much more likely to come down hard on them. They're more likely to sort of stamp as opposed to do the nice sort of heel toe, uh, which is important, especially with our driving ponies where so many of, and the horses, is so much of the work is road work because there are so few byways these days. And also, a lot of the working horses, a lot of their work is on the road. So it's taking into account lots of different things. Head anatomy, the mentality of the horse. Horses have all got different personalities, whether they're super chill and easy, whether they're a bit stressy, whether they're anxious, whether they panic a lot, whether you have to treat them a bit like babies, whether you can push them and say, excuse me, no, actually, we are going to do this. Thank you very much. And they'll go, oh, sorry, whoops. Or whether if you do that, they're going to have a meltdown. You know, there's, it's just learning what to look for. Learning what you can do once you've seen what you're looking for. And then building that into your routine. Wow. So what, <laughs> I went on a bit there. Sorry. No, no, that's great. But it, just, it just showed, didn't it, that beautifully there is not one answer for all. You know, when we get in these, these arguments about what you should and shouldn't do, it does it is totally about the individual because there are so so many elements of you know confirmation temperament um environmental factors the job that they're being asked to do whether their brain matches that job whether they match the rider's brain because then exactly. then we add in the driver or the rider and the way that they think and feel so what's been your experience of combination so getting the right driver, <laughs> getting the right drive you know person driving them whatever so what's been your experience with that with all the things you've worked with yeah uh an interesting thing i've discovered from working with 
a whole suite of sort of top level event riders is that they set they they tend to have the same kind of horse so you'll go to a yard like lissa green's yard and she'll have all these beautiful lovely mostly very chill laid back horses that are all a little bit rangy in like a nice way not too rangy just she tends to go for like the nice long limbs quite a decent length of back nice long necks and she really takes her time with those to make sure that they're well muscled and they've got their cores going and and they go really nicely but then you go to someone like tiana and she tends to have stuff that's a bit more compact a bit more sort of tightly put together a little bit more fiery to the to the point that some of them are very sharp uh, and you go to some of the other riders and you'll you'll notice that sort of they're all gigantic horses not looking at anyone in particular ben but looking at you and some people that just sort of they'll have a, a hodgepodge of collections of maybe just lots of irish stuff and they gravitate i think towards things that they know things that they know work well and temperaments there are riders that you go to where their whole yard is full of quite sharp things and that's just what they like to ride and yards where you go and they're really chill and laid back and you go actually the rider's super chill and laid back that's a perfect pairing the issue comes and you find this in dressage a lot is someone will bypass the temperament and they'll go i like that horse it moves well i love it and maybe there's a bit of jazz in it and it's sharp and if it's not sharp it's hot and if it's not hot then it's a bit like that banner is going to terrify me every day for the rest of my life no matter how many times i go past it and the rider maybe is a bit more of the the chill and laid back and that's too much for them just it's it's very demoralizing as a rider if you're chill and laid back and your horse does not let you be chill and laid back but again it's equally demoralizing if you've gone to buy a horse and it's kind of oh it's nice and chill i like that and actually you're a bit more fiery and hot and you want to if you put your leg on you kind of want it to go yeah let's go and it goes yeah okay that's fine and again that can be quite demoralizing because you feel like you're always chasing something in driving it's particularly obvious because especially when you get to the teams all of the horses and ponies in that team will be similar and if they're not similar they they complement each other really really well so the leaders in a team the ones at the front will always be brave and yes where 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 and the ones at the back will just be like yeah we'll pull we'll pull we'll pull we'll just we'll keep going you tell us where to go we'll keep going and you'll find the horses on those are generally are much more amenable they're much more yes whatever you say i'm going to do it and the ponies are a bit more are you sure are you are you really sure you want to go right frequently when i'm competing with my friend sarah our lead pony will go i think actually you mean left because last time we went left and we'll have changed in this obstacle because actually we found a quicker route and it it will test us and it goes no we're going left now and we have to go left whereas that would very rarely happen with a horse because the horses go you say right yes i go right and obviously these are big pony horse generalizations but you see it in driving a lot the people that drive the ponies are often they love the cheekiness they love the fact that you have to drive them every single second every single minute every single turn you have to drive them because the pony goes i don't really fancy that corner nah i don't need to do that today and the horse drivers the horses behave generally a lot better they they go yes we'll go in a straight line until you tell me otherwise you don't necessarily until you get to the very top level when they're very hot and fiery you don't have to drive them every single second you can kind of have a nap every so often if you're if you're stood still chatting to someone on their carriage you don't have to pay too much attention maybe your groom doesn't have to get off and hold the, the horse 
whereas with a pony generally they do simply in training there's a lot of excellent horse carriage drivers who you wouldn't necessarily want to train you if you have ponies because that mentality of a pony it's much more of a partnership you kind of say shall we do this and they go yeah i'm feeling that today whereas the horse it's more you tell them when you're driving because the the temperament of a horse that drives is very obedient very yes whatever you say whereas with the ponies people have allowed them to be a bit more cheeky they're often natives so the pony driving coaches know how to sort of get that temperament under wraps handle it a little bit better so you'll find that the pony coaches can often coach horses and ponies and the pony drivers will only go to pony coaches but the horse drivers will often go to pony coaches and horse coaches because if you maybe you've got a slightly cheeky horse you go i'll go to the pony coach because they obviously know what they're doing so the drivers it's really interesting sort of what you pick often it's the type of horse the type of pony if you love welsh ponies if you love shetlands you're going to end up driving welsh ponies and shetlands if you love the frisians if you love the gelderlanders you're going to end up driving the frisians and the gelderlanders so that's one of those things where if you love the breed you can go for it where i think riders are often a little bit more i love the breed but i don't think it's right for what i want so i'll i'll pick something else and there's there's a strange sense i think also of the temperament of a rider and then the goals of a rider maybe don't match up sometimes and maybe they buy a horse for their goal instead of their temperament and i personally believe it's much more important to buy a horse that maybe pushes your skills as a rider a little bit more but matches your temperament and then you can get to your goal eventually there's a, a dressage breeder that a breeder a seller that i know who's a fabulous dealer absolutely 100% recommend her who has a brain injury and a, a long illness so everything has to be perfect to handle on the ground and she imports these beautifully well-bred dutch warm blood dressage horses bred for dressage and i don't know how she does it but every single one of them has the most chill relaxed laid-back temperament so that she can ride them and she can take them out and compete and she can handle them by herself on the ground with no worries and no issues whatsoever and they suit the, a certain type of person perfectly someone that wants that big powerful dressage warm blood but they want the temperament of sort of a nice big chill shire horse you know and i have no idea how she finds all these horses but they are amazing and it's just so important i think that there are people like that out there that say i know what you want this is what you need you don't want you don't need the big jazz dressage horse because you won't be able to ride it and then you'll be scared of it and then you've basically ruined a horse and no one's going to be able to do anything with it what you need is a horse that looks like a, a jazz horse and it's got lovely breeding but it's a dope on a rope and i have it yeah and it's lovely to hear that these do exist because so often oh, yeah. my clients, we spend time, if we get to the point where they realise actually the match with them and their horse <clears throat> isn't right, Yeah, um, which we do get to sometimes, mm -hmm. and um, or they've gone and bought the horse for the goal and not for them, yeah. like you say, really, really common. Or <laughs> actually they thought it was their goal, but it wasn't really, so they yeah. bought the horse to match the goal that isn't really their goal anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, and actually we spend time thinking about what they want to feel, what they really want to do, you know, all of that, and then find the horse to match. And it is it is good to hear and to know because sometimes people do want something that looks the part, 
but yeah. then possibly can't handle it. But they but they want the the smart horse. That's fine. You know, that's perfectly yeah. understandable. Of course, no one wants to turn up looking a bit embarrassed, you know, on something that they think oh, it doesn't look the way I want to do. Obviously, yeah. other people couldn't care less and just want to enjoy themselves regardless. So it is lovely to hear, though, that there are horses. I think I've got one that, you know, look the part, but have the temperament that, that matches. I mean, there's no yeah. doubt he and I are like, it's just the same. <laughs> my horse back, so you know. Um, but yeah, and um, so that's really cool. OK, so again, like this driving thing keeps coming through. Which I yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it is actually something that we've never really touched on. I haven't really had anyone who does a lot of driving on these. So tell us a little bit about your driving experience, particularly the way then that you do things slightly differently and the same for driving. Because yes. I have a very good friend of mine. She was bridesmaid at my wedding, known as Sydney University, really good friend of mine. And she drives Shetlands. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting though, when you start thinking about these matches of the people and their temperaments and the, and the ponies or the horses that they drive or ride and think, now, how come they've ended up with those? That's interesting then, isn't it? Or, you know, and whether they are indeed the right match. But mm. interesting enough, that's what she's done. And I had great fun going and playing with her and going and doing some showing. And I always look ridiculous, of course, on the back of a Shetland carriage because I am five foot nine and very, you know, tall. And we did once go to competition where a very well-known person who makes carriages did turn around to her and say, do you know, I absolutely love your setup and everything, but you're going to find a, need to find a smaller group. <laughs> yeah because, but i was the person she had at the time so this is what we did anyway yeah. we had great fun it was absolutely brilliant absolutely loved it but i had no idea actually how much crossover there is between riding and driving and how many similarities there are as well as of course all the differences as well and i don't know how many people we've got watching or listening into this that know anything about the world of driving so tell us a little bit about your experience what you love about it um <laughs> and the world of driving yeah so driving is really interesting in that there are far more disciplines than people think about. So you have the eventing driving, which you'll see at Poe and Aachen and at the Royal Windsor Show as well. That one's invitation only. And it's three phase competition. You've got your driven dressage. You've got your cones, which is the equivalent to the show jumping. And you have your marathon. And much like eventing's cross country has changed over the years, the um, the eventing marathon has changed. It's shorter. There are fewer sections. And it's basically, it's over uh, like 15 kilometers now, I think. And there are sections with obstacles where there are big gates that you have to go through. And they used to be trees and now they're much more built to purpose. And actually those course builders, oh my goodness, they've got to make it so that a single pony, as well as a full team of horses, can use the same obstacle. I, I do not envy them their job at all. And they are fantastic. So... Usually, most people start off driving a single, which is just one pony, one horse in a carriage, and go on from there. The next step there is a pair, which is one next to each other, so you've got two together. And then from there, people generally are happy enough with that. Anyone that's a bit mad will go for a tandem, which is one floating in front of the other. You can increase that and put another one in front if you're really, really mad. Um, there are not many people that do that, because it's very difficult to steer. And... If you don't go the tandem route, the next step from a pair is a team, which is your four, your two in front of your two. There are obviously many other combinations that you can have threes, you can have unicorns, which is two and one, or you can do one with two. There's so many things. And you see the big 
Clydesdales and Shires, they, they do really long randoms of just horses in front of each other. So that's just generally what you can put to a carriage. And there's obviously lots of different types of carriage, your two wheels, your four wheels, and all of that. And that's changed that history. Today, we've got sort of the modern sporting carriage, which are very lightweight. When you go showing, and we started our, uh, the ponies that I worked with when they were babies, when I first got into driving with a friend of mine who was a junior national champion and her mother's uh, an international judge and her, her stepfather's a massive coaching coaching guy. And she is a professional commentator of carriages and carriage events. So she's like, I've got them. I've got them. I finally got them because she took some time out to have kids. So we got these ponies off the mountain and we took them out. Welsh ponies, the first season, we we just purely went showing to get them out, to get them seeing stuff, much like a lot of people do with their ridden horses, you know, they take them out to lots of little, little shows, get them used to things. And the thing with the driving is you don't really have like the tiny clear round shows. You don't really have all of those little mini, mini things because the driving community isn't huge. The shows that put on, you go to showing shows if you want to get your ponies out doing stuff. Now, the ponies are beautiful. We win everything. We're fantastic. We had to focus a lot because of uh, my, my friend's name in, in the, the industry and her specialty with historical carriages is when you're doing a showing show, there's just as much gets marked on how the ponies and the horses behave and how they move as your turnout, which is to say how well the harness matches the carriage, if the carriage is historical from a certain period whether your dress matches so our ponies were were put to in just sort of an, a very nice sort of dog cart carriage where sarah would have a hat she had a nice little tweed short jacket navy navy apron and then i was dressed as a groom which would be as a riding groom with the beagler the the blue hacking jacket the cream breeches the short boots because that's the correct groom for the turnout as it's ponies a small groom is more correct as jenny said with the shetlands you ideally want to have a small groom on the back to match the turnout so it looks good there is a lovely lovely thing that you can do when showing where everyone goes out on these beautiful drives on concours so one behind the other everyone in the class sometimes up to like 40 50 people going around a beautiful estate and there's an artist to judge which is which carriage combination which turnout looks the most beautiful which is i think a terrible way to judge a class but they always have a beautiful artist and they always pick something and everyone's like well i guess yeah looks cool then you've got the pure dressage where you end up with lateral movements like half pass in carriage and you've got your show jumping in carriage which is scurry racing which is the cones course but they're seriously fast and you'll see little ponies doing that and oh my goodness it is thrilling to watch it's loud it's mad the turns are amazing the groom you see them sort of slamming themselves all around it's great you have the eventing like i mentioned earlier where you're doing dressage in massive 100 meter uh, dressage arenas you've got your cones course and your dressage and your cones generally in outdoor eventing are done in your fancy carriage that you would go to a showing class in and then it's just your marathon that's done in the, the new sport carriage and recently in the last sort of few years indoor driving trials have begun which covers our 
winter season when we can't compete outside where everything is done indoors or in an outdoor arena. Uh, so you have your dressage in a, in a smaller arena, you have your cones and then you have your obstacles, which are temporary obstacles that get made up. And that's a brilliant way for people to get their young ponies out that you can do now. With, where if you maybe you're not into showing or you, you only have a modern carriage and you can't really do a lot of the showing classes that makes it worth going to a show, you would do that. And you, you see lots of kids doing that. A lot of the juniors sort of cut their teeth doing the indoor driving trials junior sections. A lot of brand new people to the sport will rock up and everyone's super helpful, super friendly. Everyone's, oh my goodness, the carriage people are the nicest bunch of people I've ever met in my life. Perhaps the working equitation people come sort of level but it's one of those ones where once you're in the carriage driving community people will say oh are you going to this show i think you'd be perfect oh have you thought about doing this oh i think maybe we need to change the adjustment of your breast collar and there's a class out showing called ride and drive where half the class is you riding your horse and half the class is you driving the horse and it it judges how well your horse is suited to both those classes are so difficult because often a horse that's really good at being driven isn't necessarily great at being ridden. And a horse that's really great at being ridden isn't necessarily great at being driven. So those horses are utter, utter gems. Anything that says ride and drive and you see it for sale and you like the look of it, buy it. Because they are utterly incredible horses. They're just phenomenal. But the training regime is is similar and dissimilar. There's an awful lot of lunging, an awful lot of long reining, and often people start off their riding horses exactly the same, and then they tail off on the long reining, they tail off on the lunging. And it's very much, as a rider going to driving, it can be very strange because you're sat a long way from the horse, and your whip is your leg, and then the rest is your voice and your hands. So you've got to have really good voice cues which is why a lot of the lunging is on voice cues to get the pace changes. So you get your extensions off of a terrot instead of a trot Um, and you get stands and you get rainbacks and all that. But the way in which you go around training them, you know, where their flaws are, where their strengths are is, is very similar to ridden. And a lot of the top, top ridden driven horses are ridden to increase their flexibility, to increase sort of their abilities to say, actually, I really do want this extension. Actually, I really do want this shoulder in like this. So the ridden part of the driven horse at a high level is much more important these days. A lot of the younger drivers are kind of coming through saying, actually, I can do more if I ride this horse as well. But again, it's it's finding that temperament, the training aspect, you're training very much a similar shape. You want that roundness, you want that hind end engagement, but there's a bit more flexibility in head placement with the with the driving because you want more power, more pull. And often if you're going up a hill, it's absolutely fine for their heads to, to go right out for them to kind of really push down into the breast collar and, and properly go for it. So it's one of those things where the similarities are incredible. I frequently will say to someone who I'm coaching who who rides, there's this thing that I've been doing with one of the driving ponies, one of the driving horses, that's been really helpful. Shall we try it with this? And it'll work. Or equally, there's some things that I've gone, actually, this worked really well as a ridden exercise. Maybe I can do it in hand with one of the driving ponies. And that's that strange moment where the crossover works. And I think it works because all horses and ponies are horses and ponies regardless of their job they're all 
usually physically capable of most things, which is why our top pony, I've been doing a lot of in-hand classical dressage with it at the minute because it struggles with flexibility and it's very clever. So it, um, a lot of the issue is, yes, there's a physical weakness there, but there's a mental block as well where the horse sort of goes, that's hard, don't want to do it. And so in a carriage, there's not a lot you can do when they do that. Much less than when you ride where you can kind of almost force them to do something eventually because you've got that ability to wrap your leg around them, carry them up into the world and say, we are going to do leg yield. In a carriage, if you push too much and they boil over, there's a safety issue, so you can't do it. So you go back and you say, we'll try and do it on the lunge, but lunging isn't great for working on lateral work. And long reining, again, you're a bit too far away. You can't really force and you're more likely to, for them to just shoot off. But the in-hand classical dressage, which obviously people use to train their horses for PF, for passage, for all of that kind of stuff, as well as to sort of train them to begin with, can be so helpful with a driven pony because... I can ride them. This pony hates being ridden and it's a driving pony, so we don't ride it. What I do is I do classical dressage with it to say, do me a turn on the forehand, please. Do me some leg yield. Do me some half bust. Do me some shoulder in. Bend yourself. Flex yourself. And it can have a temper tantrum and it frequently does. But we like each other, so the tantrum's tiny and it's over. And then we try again. And then you put it in harness the next day and you put it to the carriage and you hitch up and off you go and suddenly it's much more flexible. And the goal at the minute with that particular horse is just to keep doing that a couple of times a week. It's really clever and it does try its absolute heart out for me, not for anyone else, only tries for me. So I have to make sure that I don't go and overdo it. So we do one or twice, one or two a week, much as I would with a horse that gets ridden, that's learning PF and Passage, I wouldn't do the in-hand stuff more than once or twice a week as I'm doing it because otherwise it's too much, you know? And just because you're not riding them, it doesn't mean that you can overdo the groundwork because everything is groundwork with driving, if that makes sense. And obviously not everything is groundwork with the riding. People feel like they're doing stuff. Whereas a lot of the driven stuff is so much is exercise, getting them really fit so you go on like an, a two-hour drive around the roads and you're not doing a lot other than having a nice time. And putting fitness on the ponies. Uh, so yeah, a lot of the the hardcore stuff works at home. And then you have to show it off at a competition. Whereas I think with the with the riding, a lot of the hard work happens every time you're riding, basically. Whereas with the driving, you just can't do that every single day. Mm. Gosh, it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's, so, it's so interesting, though, that you talk about a horse being flexible and being able to bend and use its body when it's between traces. So actually, it's between two great big poles that stick out the front. Yeah, the, the shafts. Yeah, that's the word. Sorry, not the traces. Traces are the leather bits, aren't they? Is yep. that right? Yeah, oh, yep. that attached to the swingle trees. Yep. Oh, goodness <laughs> me. That's the bit that moves around, isn't it? Behind. Yep. Yep. Oh, there we are. We're yep. getting there. Um, this is this, like tiny bit from years ago. But they're between, let's let's use layman's terms here so I don't get it wrong. They're between two poles, potentially, yep. if you've got, you know, a pair. If you've got, if you've got a single horse yeah. or a single pony, they're between two shafts, one on each side. Yeah. If they're a pair, there's one pole that goes between them. Okay, yeah. So when we're talking about needing them to, you know, bend and things, yeah. the, the, the thing that most people would look at and go, well, bend where? It's got either another horse one side in a pole or a, a pole <laughs> in a pole or... But, 
that's yeah. what you can see when you were talking about the tandem when there's one in front of the other the front one can wiggle all over the place presumably yeah, yeah so how so... come then you need them to bend <laughs> so if if you've got two poles let's see two poles if your horse is kind of this wide the poles aren't there the shafts are actually quite far away there's a lot of movement that your horse can have between the shafts and if you're doing dressage for example because it's easiest to show in a dressage test and you've got to do a circle your horse won't do a circle dead straight like this your horse has to bend a little bit has to bend a little bit that shoulder has to come around that quarters has to flex the barrel has to extend on one side and contract on the other and the neck has to come round. so if your horse if this is the sort of the shoulder of the horse the pole only just comes here the pole doesn't touch the shoulder at all the pole finishes sort of where your girth line is on a on a on a modern sort of sports carriage this is here so the shoulder is totally flexible okay so the idea is if you're going to turn right the horse doesn't you don't want the horse to sidestep like this you want the horse to walk like it's doing a circle so that bending obviously bends within the shafts and i think it's it's a common misunderstanding because often the pictures you see are from the side if you took a picture from above and i will probably i will try and do this actually because i need to i need to get a picture of them in in harness anyway so if you take a picture from above you'll have the horse here and then there'll be a big gap and then there'll be the shafts particularly on the marathon carriages where the shafts actually go out and then back so they go out and then they go in to the sort of what we'd what we'd sort of the where you'd put your saddle on a horse that's where it attaches to that's where the shafts attach so at the high level pure dressage you have horses doing half pass in single in shafts across and pulling the carriage at the same time so the flexibility then you think well why would you need that well if your horse is pulling something and you're going around a turn you need them to be flexible and and to go on like a tiny circle as opposed to sidestepping when you get to the cones some of the obstacle cones are very tight and you need the horse to physically bend as they pull the carriage in order to keep the momentum because as we know from riding if you can keep the roundness and the shape and the bend as you're turning you have more power coming out of the turn if not that is the goal and there's some great exercises to practice turning correctly to have the inside hind leg stepping under in order to push out of a turn then you take that from the cones to the scurry which is even faster they need to be flexible from there to the obstacles where especially if you have leaders you need if you pull on them to say turn right you need them to bend not go sideways like a like a falling motorbike because if you hit things you lose points if balls come off like if you knock a show jumping pole down you get four faults if you knock a ball off you get a five second penalty added to your time so if your horse if you pull it to turn right and it does this that's terrible if it does that much better it goes around things and particularly if you are running a tandem or a team or a multiple where you have one in front of another it's vital that they bend so that there is space for the wheelers to move into to then also bend basically with the with the bending front absolutely so we're coming back to it again then looking at the individual even when they're in a team of four exactly to work out what their needs are yes and some horses in a carriage are better at going right than going left so you would put them on the right 
if that makes sense. So that if they're better at bending and turning right and you have them on the right-hand side of the carriage, when you turn right, they're going to do a better job. When they turn left, they're going to come up against, if it's a pair, they're going to come up against the pole in the middle and that's going to help them, basically, to not cut across. And there's a pony on their left or a horse on their left and that's going to help them to stop falling in. Uh, which is sort of how you can use the setup in a carriage to help your horse. And I would definitely say to anyone, it's, I mean, it's such a shame, obviously, that everything's cancelled, but my favourite thing to do at Windsor Horse Show is to go and watch the driving because it is incredible. And it's lovely to go down because you have to go all the way down the bottom yep. to watch the dressage. It's nice to do that. But, and the cones, but actually to watch them when they do the marathon. Ma, and, and, and at Olympia, they now have the driving. They yeah, did. so they have so the the FEI World Driving Indoor Driving Trials. That's part of the international circuit. That is, it's not just a show for people. That is an actual qualification. I mean, Boyd nearly always wins. Whenever Boyd oh, competes, Boyd wins because it's Boyd. But again, that's something to watch because Boyd's horses are a very particular type of horse, and you can see how he drives. Actually, if you watch the, they've got all of the, the FEI driving legs. For the extreme driving, it's called extreme driving, the leg that's at Olympia. And you can see them on on YouTube. If you watch how Dana Proust drives as opposed to Boyd drives, you can kind of see what I mean about the temperaments and the differences. The bit that is showing off is uh, Boyd's bit at the end where they, they all come together in those little decreasing circles. And again, you can see the bend on those horses and then the expanding circles and the, the scissors and stuff. They are genuinely... As a carriage driver, that is terrifying to do because when you're cantering in a team, stopping is hard, really, really hard. Imagine you're out on the gallops on your horse and you're at the gallops with four of your friends. There's one person on each of those horses that when you say stop, everyone is stopping. If one person's horse is a bit difficult, they're going to pull more than the others. When you're driving... You've got two horses closest to you, two horses far away from you, and just you pulling on the reins to say stop and telling them to stop. And if they're a bit excited, it's really hard when you're trying to pull them to stop to pull the exact reins that just do that horse. And there aren't exact reins that just do that horse because they're all connected to each other. So it's not like you've got reins from one pony to another to another. They all, they, they splice, so they all come back. So you're only holding four reins for four ponies. You're not holding eight reins. And obviously they, they get a bit excited because there's no one on top. That's why when you see the, the Queen's carriages going down with the big, like multiple six to eight horses, they'll have a pillion rider just in case they get a bit overexcited. You've got someone there who can help with the stopping. So yeah, so them going sort of mad scissory, they are all utterly insane, those drivers, like in a really good way. And if it's something you've never done and you can never get the opportunity to do it, see if you can ever get the chance to sit on a carriage and feel the power. Even four ponies. I yeah. couldn't believe the power of two Shetlands. Yeah, that was Shetlands unbelievable. Are good. I yeah. mean, and but it's a weird thing for me as a rider to have them way out in front as well. It's that very, was yeah. very strange, but just an incredible thing. So, and and the reason I was saying watch them at Olympia or watch them at Windsor is because particularly That's at top Olympia, class. actually, I'd forgotten top that. Class. Yeah top class but it's also you just see how incredibly flexible they are because they can come back on themselves oh yeah Team of four massive girls land literally just turn back on themselves and yeah. in the arena at olympia that's not that big they no. can fit in the most incredible things and you just then see how versatile these horses can be 
when there's one yeah. person trying to get around, you know, a bit of a dress size chest. I mean, I often think to myself, trying to do an elementary on a, in a 20 by 40 on my big 17 one, think, well, this is a bit small. And yeah. then I watch them carriage driving and go, girl, you've got no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lovely carriage driver called Sonny Hillier, who's lovely, who all of the horses that he competes are working horses. They do funeral and weddings and other stuff as well, but they're all working horses. So the temperaments on those are amazing. And I have had the, the absolute pleasure of accidentally being walking past Sonny at a competition and chatting to him. And one of his grooms got trod on and broke her foot. Because <laughs> they're big Frisians. And I mean, it was no one's fault. It was just one of those awkward, oh, oh no, that's not great. And she thought she broke her, broke her foot. She hadn't, but she was sort of like rolling on the floor in agony. And so I got handed, I'm only five foot one, right? Which is another reason why I like working with the ponies. And he was like, you, you couldn't just hold these two whilst we're putting two, putting two a team. So I'm just holding the wheelers. And the wheeler, the wheeler horses are, are put two first and then the leader horses are put two. So I'm there holding these whopping great big Frisians who are beautifully well behaved, but they're very tall, especially with the headset on a Frisian. So I'm stood there holding them and then the, the leaders get backed up to you. So you're stood right behind the bum of one of the wheelers, uh, of one of the leaders, holding like this two of the wheelers, trying not to get in the way of the person then putting the traces on and getting the reins through and everything. And then you have to stay like that, which is why there are always three grooms for teams of four, because there's a groom for the leaders and a groom for the wheelers. And then you have to stay like that until the driver, the whip, gets on and takes all the reins up and says they're good to go. And usually I'm used to holding onto ponies where you can kind of lean over the neck and hold one and it's not you don't you don't feel particularly in danger as a tiny pony bum comes up to you. But I mean like the bum is at my head, you know. It's just like this this is Sunny, I love your horses and they're so well behaved, but this is this is why I do ponies, you know. <laughs> All of you and your tall grooms. But when it comes to the competitions, the eventing, like you're saying, it's worth watching the back steps, because that's what I do at at the big level. I tend to back step. I, I drive single. Um, I can drive pair, but driving single is fine. I love backstepping. The the people I, I backstep for, one of them is very super chill and it's just having a nice day out. And then Sarah is beyond competitive. The amount of times I've almost been physically thrown from the carriage or the huge bounces I have to do to not hit something because Sarah's gone on such a tight turn that I've had to physically move the carriage about a foot by bouncing it with my body so we don't knock something over and, and get time penalties. But uh, we've been at Marist Wood before at a competition and Dick has been doing the, the commentating for us. And I have been one hand, hanging on with one hand with the other hand almost trailing on the sand, almost out of the carriage going, she'll slow down once we're through the timing gates. That I thought I was, I was definitely off. And you can't fall off as a backstep because it gets, it, it, you just don't do it, you get eliminated. And that's just not acceptable. Um, but when you go to having teams of four, the carriages have brakes and you probably don't, unless you're in carriage driving, you don't know this. So you have two grooms on the back, one groom who's sort of right behind the driver and then a groom behind them on the lower back step. And the groom behind the driver is helping with the navigating, which most drivers I've driven with, they forget where they're going as soon as they enter an obstacle. They have no idea where they're going. So I'm constantly yelling left, 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 forward, forward, second, left, second, left, 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 now straight, 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 really, really loud in their ear. In a team, I then have brakes to deal with. So there's a wheel on the left for the brake on the left and a wheel on the right for the brake on the right to help us in a team because of the power. And this is even on a pony carriage. Because of the power, I need to use brakes in order to get us 
around obstacles without the carriage flipping over. Because even a team of, of Shetlands, you can you can easily do that. Like Oh, do you know backstepping <laughs> is one of those I love, absolutely love <laughs> backstepping. The only thing is, of course, you've got to find the right person that allows you to train to do it. Because you don't want to be doing it wrong in a competition. Yeah. What you what you want to do, if you're interested in, in having a go at backstepping, is go to an indoor driving trials event and there's a lot of them around. The website's really good, it tells you where they all are. And most people there, other than the people who are really competitive and wanting to get to nationals, they will probably be in a non pandemic time, more than happy for you to have a little go on the backstep. They'll probably let you hop on for the cones because the backstep isn't really allowed to do anything on the cones. But it gives you that sense of as it's moving and as it's turning. And they'll probably, if they're really nice and they're sort of just there for a nice day out, which a lot of them are, they might let you hop on the back and go around the obstacles with them. There's a, a fun thing that happens a lot uh, at the the indoor driving trials is people will swap back steps because someone maybe has done better in their dressage and their cones than they thought. And actually they might win if they do really well in in the obstacles so they'll go i need a smaller backstop less weight less weight and sort of someone will go oh my back steps we're, we're on a totally different time to you have my back step and they'll you'll suddenly see them with an unusual small back step because they're going for it or there'll be a why why is he on the back step? you never have your husband on the back step because he's a large man who weighs quite a lot and goes horses are very fresh today they're very fresh so you've put more weight on the back because it's heavier for them to pull which takes some of that that zhuzh out of them which is quite funny but backstepping is really important like that, does, see that reminds me actually, yeah well that's it because my friend obviously um and 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 so therefore most of the time i've been around shetland drivers and things yeah. so obviously they tend to have smaller people but you don't really want a child if you're at a show and your horse is a bit fresh you kind of you need to know that they're okay and, and i yeah. don't think you're supposed to in certain things either and yeah. this was always the funny part was that i could always tell if the ponies were a bit fresh because they'd ask me to go on the back of the carriage even though i looked like something out of the film elf yeah. Um, but I was heavy enough, quick enough and understood enough about horses and ponies and things, even if I, because when you're showing, this was showing rather than yeah. backstepping, which is a different thing. You just sit there and look pretty and then you get off and hold them when you're, when you're stood in the lineup. But, yeah. um, so you could then, I would be asked to go and sit on the carriage because I could get off, run around really quickly and hold the little thing at the front yes. and make it stand still in the yes. lineup, whereas a child may not have been able to do that. So yeah. it's, but this is what I love about about it actually is it's a real team sport isn't it i mean we've been oh, yeah. talking to begin with today about training the individual making sure the individual gets what they need but actually when we look at a lot of sports um or a lot of things in horse riding they are an individual but there are definitely parts of carriage driving and things like that where it really is a team in every single way yeah uh, particularly when you're harnessing up or taking off the harness that most people have these fancy trolleys okay which will have little round bits that look weird if you're used to saddles and this is just a trolley and each pony will have a certain part of the trolley and so you'll go the wheelers are at the bottom the leaders are at the top the left side is the left side that's the near side and sometimes or well as is good practice in a pair you swap them around fairly regularly and in a team you can kind of move them around a little bit if you need to so they have like the little set areas and i went out for a drive recently with uh, the lady that I, I drive with uh, because you need for, for a team of four you need two back steps and so one of her daughters back steps with her but you need two and obviously I'm I'm the go-to I've been training them for years 
and you're putting them to. And I was harnessing up, and I harness up Ruby, who, who loves me. She hates everybody else. It's great. So if anything hard has to be done, I'm the one that gets that get, gets Ruby. And so I was harnessing up Ruby, and I was like, Ruby goes on. She's left wheeler. She's, she's near side wheeler. Why have I got an offside bit of harness where there's... So there's a single ring for the rain to go through to Ruby. And then on the other side, there's a double ring. So the rain that goes through to Ruby goes through the bottom one and then it splits to go to the the other side so in this case it would have been rosie and then the ring above so it's like a little figure of figure of eight the ring above is the range that go through to the leaders now it should be on on a certain side so there's a small ring and, and a double ring and i was putting it on and i was like this this doesn't seem right this this definitely is an offside pad not the near side pad so i'm yelling over it at the whip and she goes oh yes it's because i took them out the other day as a pair and i couldn't be bothered to get the pair harness out because the drive the the team harness was out so i just used the team harness and i swapped them around so then it's a case of working out which pony has got like ruby's kit and then taking it all off and going actually can we bother to take all of it off no we'll just swap the pads over so then it's very easy to get it all jumbled up and that's when it's so important that sort of that communication happens and usually I go out with them every single time but because of the pandemic she's been going out with her husband on the back a lot or with one of her kids along and and they're lovely kids but as we all know kids aren't brilliant at putting stuff back in the right place so whoever had taken the harness off after the pair had gone out hadn't put it back on the trolley in the right order and it caused momentary strange confusion and then we fixed it and then it was an absolute shambles when we were taking it off because we confused ourselves because obviously everything gets done up on the left side of a horse on the near side and on the right side of a horse on the offside horse so we'd obviously swapped them round undone it and obviously they're in the wrong stuff so we've undone everything on the wrong side and it just sort of carnage as we lobbed it on the trolley and we went someone we'll fix it later it doesn't matter we'll fix it later we know it's an issue we'll fix it later because there's so much leather work like if you thought putting a breastplate on your horse was a faff carriage harness is insanity with all and especially when you have a team of four and the reins are so long but it was it was just sort of the whole team going sure we're not going to fix that today anyone want to fix it no we're just gonna yeah <laughs> and, I, and I think that's the lovely thing about it is is actually there is quite a lot of work there's a lot of work yeah. in maintaining the carriage making it look good i mean i have photos of me at shows and things you know turned up to watch my friend and end up polishing the flipping thing before she goes in the ring you oh know? yeah all of that like this is when I, we had no idea at all like this was years ago i'm not that i'm saying i've got any idea now but i've got a small <laughs> amount a small amount yeah. of idea of actually oh hang on a minute you're not turning up to watch at all you're going to be made to clean things because there's course. so much to sort and clean and this was for a single shetland you know but yeah. um but it is lovely and actually the lovely thing about the carriage driving world is because you do need a lot of help you need people you need manpower you, you there's a lot of things to clean and polish and do and all of that that actually it is a really lovely thing to be a part of and and if you mm. want to be roped in you will be um, yes there is hopefully you know when it all comes back again and what have you people will be able to get involved but go and watch it for sure because Definitely. it is like nothing else and you think oh yeah you know that looks easy because you see it on the on the period dramas and on the tv and things and it all looks so beautiful and elegant yeah <laughs> i love i love it so hayden hayden and steve steve dent they do a lot of the driving and a lot of hayden's horses you'll see so in bridgerton a lot of those were were steve well they were steve dent were using the horses so hayden was driving a lot and there was one horse 
that they have. It's not a particularly attractive horse, but you see it in everything. It will do anything. You see it harnessed up to sort of a big carriage, to a small carriage. You see it doing this, you see it doing that. And it's the same horse. It's like little bay thing that I think they got when they were filming in Romania. And they just went, we like this, we'll buy it, we'll take it with us. And I think that horse must have made him so much money because you can literally do anything with it. It will do anything, absolutely anything. You put it to whatever carriage, who cares? But on the on the, the polishing things, on a showing class, I recently got out my hacking jacket for driving, which is just a nice blue tweed. And there's the snot rag in one corner for wiping the ponies' noses and the buffing rag in the other for because it's all boot polish and brasso for buffing all of the, the patent leather harness whenever we go showing. Um, and I forgot that there was a snot rag and my, my polishing rag and I put my hands in the pockets and I was like, ew, this is gross. This is not fun. <laughs> Oh, it's brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about it. And um, and you've got so much experience and knowledge in so many different things. But if people want to get a hold of you in any way or ask you any yeah. questions or get involved in anything, and we haven't even covered the fact that you also do working equitation either. But yeah. Let's yeah. just say that one as well there. Um, <laughs> add that into the mix. Why not? Um, how do they get a hold of you, Bert? Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm personally on there as Bex Markwick or RM Equine Training. Or I've got a website, which again is just RM Equine Training. Or you can email me, Rebecca, at RM Equine Training. Or just send me a message, send me a DM. Or any of the people that know me, they know how to get in contact. Spam me, tag me, whatever, really. Super easy. Literally, most people. I mean, my phone number gets given out to people so much that I get I get contact from, I, like, I have no idea who this is. And they're like, oh, Lisa gave me your number. And I'm like, of course she did. Yeah, brilliant. I'm like no idea who you are because you're not in my phone and they're like oh my god i'm so sorry yeah yeah and then i go off and i work on like a a dressage stud for for six months um right brilliant yeah. so flexibility is absolutely one of your top top <laughs> abilities for sure cool yes well, thank you so so much for this. it's been an absolute pleasure to hear about your passion and your wealth of knowledge we've really scratched the surface on some of that but um <laughs> i'm sure we'll have you back to talk about something else at some point but. yeah well cool. thanks for thank having me so you're very welcome. Take care and uh, we'll see you again soon, no doubt. Yeah, bye. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast, so please do subscribe, follow us, and we look forward to you listening in to our next one. Bye, everyone. Who got this? You got this? You don't even rock this. Who got this? You got this?